Um, I have to repent. I got to thinking about, I was at CBU with Catherine Kuman, and all of a sudden I told my son about it, and he said, no, Mom, you saw Catherine Kuman at SMU. So I want to make that clear. Uh, Pastor Charles has so blessed us, and out on the table are these incredible CDs, and much of it is the music that we have uh, joined in with this incredible praise team. And uh, if you miss that opportunity of sowing into his life and uh, his ministry, you will miss a great blessing and an opportunity. So that's on the back there. And uh, I just wanted to plug that because uh, very seldom do I run across a praise and worship leader that is not trying to impress or perform, but literally is trying to enter into the presence of God and bring God's people with them. So I think we ought to honor that. And uh, if you don't have the money, pool your money together, hallelujah, and pass the tape around. But don't miss that glorious opportunity of picking that up. You know I love jokes, and I've got to tell one. Um, I, I was a probation officer for a number of years, and uh, I had to learn to laugh because there was so much crying and so much uh, pain in the profession I was in, and so I enjoy humor, and I love this one. A burglar broke into a house one night, and he shined his flashlight around looking for valuables, and when he picked up a CD player to place it in his sack, a strange disembodied voice echoed from the dark saying, you better be careful. Jesus is watching you. He nearly jumped out of his skin and clicked his flashlight off and froze in his tracks. When he heard nothing more after a bit, he shook his head, promising himself a vacation after the next big haul. Then clicked the light back on and began to search for more valuables. Just as he pulled the stereo out of the wall to disconnect the wires, clear as a bell, he heard it again. You better be careful. Jesus is watching you. Freaked out, he shined his flashlight around frantically and looking for the source that the voice was. Finally, in the corner of the room, his flashlight beam came to rest on a parrot. He looked at the parrot and said, did you say that? The parrot hissed back at him and said, yep, I sure did. I'm just trying to warn you. Jesus is watching you. The burglar said, warn me, hmm, who in the world are you? He said, my name is Moses. Who in the world would name a parrot Moses? The same person that named his rock waller Jesus. <laughs> oh, I love that. Oh. <laughs> oh. <clears throat> it has been my joy to be with Women of the Word again. I served as chairperson uh, for a number of years, and uh, I felt the release of the Lord, and God put someone greater and better and more perfect in the place. He always gives increase, and Betsy Roy st st stepped up to the plate and has done an incredible job, but I've got to see my friends, uh, uh, Barbara and my friend... Um, uh, June and my friend Anne and other new friends that I have met, and so it is a joy to be with you. We have been looking at unspeakable joy. 
But we have come to the conclusion that no matter how it has been expressed by the speakers who have done such an incredible job of revealing to us these words through teaching and preaching and prophesying, that we realize that joy unspeakable comes from the indwelling of the presence of this incredible God. And if we do not know God and we do not have his presence, then we will never know joy in the depth that joy is talking about. Because joy is not ruled by circumstances, neither is it ruled by facts that come in life. But joy is ruled in knowing that no matter where I am, God is in control. So we have looked at this unspeakable joy. If you have your Bibles, I want you to turn again with me to Matthew 16. And I want to finish up uh, the part that God has given me in this hour of knowing incredibly how important it is to know who this Christ is. Now, most of us settle for knowing what God can do, but never know who's doing it. If I could picture the tabernacle for you, and it has three components, I would walk you into the outer court where the bracing altar is and where the laver is. And that tells what Jesus did. Jesus came, gave his life, shed his blood, washed us clean, broke the curse of the law, set us into the kingdom of God, and reconciled us back to the Father. That is what he did. And most of the church stays in the what he can do rather than go into the next area. If you walk into the holy place, you will see there the candlestick, the altar of incense. You will also see the table of shoe bread. And you will find out that what he did, and then you will find out who did it. Because Jesus is the one that did it by the power of the Holy Spirit, anointing him and breaking the communion bread and the cup so that you and I could taste and see how good God was and to lay our worship and our praise and our adoration and our prayers on the altar of incense. So we have what he did and we have who did it, but it is not until we come into this resurrected understanding of who Christ is that we will step into the Holy of Holies and understand why he did it. And the reason he did it was to reconcile us back to the Father. Now, we're living in an hour right now where there is a deep, deep need for reconciliation back to the Father and lives to be restored. And we love the word reconciliation or restored. Reconciliation in the original Greek, if you break down that word, you will find out that it means to inquire of God concerning the problem. I found out that people cannot be restored until they recognize they have a problem. So you have to inquire of the Lord what the problem is, why, why that is in your life or what is going on. And after you require, inquire of the Lord what is the problem, God gives the answer to the problem. I found out that we're living in a generation that wants the answer without resolving the matter. Can I talk to you tonight? So in the midst of it, we have to come into reconciliation where we inquire of the Lord what the problem is so he 
he can re uh, uh, give us the answer to the problem. And after we inquire and he resolves the problem, the third fold thing comes in reconciliation, and that is to renew your spirit and renew your hope and your confidence in God. We are living in a generation right now that desperately needs those three things operating in their life. We need to inquire of God what the problem is. We need to believe that God can resolve problems and that God will renew us after it is resolved. Uh, in the midst of it, Jesus now has looked at his disciples and we looked at it at the first session. And if you are in chapter 16 of Matthew, verse 13. And Jesus came to the district of Caesarea Philippi, and he asked his disciples, Who do people say that the Son of Man is? And they said, Some say John the Baptist, and others Elijah, and others Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. And he said to them, But who do you say that I am? And Simon answered and said, You are Christ, Christo, the anointed one, the very life of God, that comes from a living God. And Jesus answered and said, Blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood did not reveal this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. And I tell you, you are Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. And I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven, and whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. And then he strictly charged the disciples to tell no one that he was Christ. And from that time on, Jesus began to show his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things from the elders and the chief priests and the scribes and be killed. And on the third day, he would raise from the dead. And Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him, saying, Far be it from you, Lord, this shall never happen to you. But he turned and said to Peter, Get behind me, Satan. You are a hindrance to me, for you are setting your mind on the things, you are not setting your mind on the things of God, but you have set your mind on the things of men. And then Jesus told his disciples, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever shall save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my name's sake will find it. For what will it profit a man if he gain the whole world and forfeits his soul? Or what shall a man give in return for his soul? For the Son of Man is going to come with his angels in the glory of the Father, and he will repay each person according to what he has done. Truly I say to you that there are some standing here that will not taste death, but they shall see the Son of Man coming in his kingdom. And after six days, Jesus took with him Peter, James, and John, the brother, and led them up to a high mountain by themselves. And he was transfigured before them, and his face shined like the sun, and his clothes became as white as light. He was transparent. And behold, there appeared to them Moses and Elijah talking with him. And Peter said, Lord, it is good for us to be here. If you wish, I will make three tabernacles here, one for you and one for Moses and one for Elijah. 
And he was still speaking when, behold, a bright cloud overshadowed them, and a voice came from the cloud saying, This is my beloved Son in whom I'm well pleased. Listen to him. And when the disciples heard this, they fell on their face, and they were terrified. But Jesus touched them, saying, Rise and have no fear. And when they lifted up their eyes, they saw no one but Jesus only. May the Lord bless his word in our presence tonight. We started out with looking at the fact that Jesus turns to these 12 disciples. The three and a half years that he has been with them, he is trying to persuade them that when they see him, they are seeing exactly the heart of the Father. And in the midst of seeing the heart of the Father, this is how God treats people. And they wanted to be, Jesus wanted to persuade them. Now, I want you to stay with me tonight. Jesus had a ministry of three and a half years, but that was not the ultimate goal. The ultimate goal was the purpose and the will of the Father. We fall short as Christians when we can only produce in the local church a ministry. Can I talk to you? Because there is difference in the ministry of God and the purpose of God. And again, we use this word so many times, purpose, purpose, and we don't even know what we're saying. But purpose to me means that God reveals his mind, his heart, and his will. And suddenly there is something higher than just having a ministry. The higher calling is when I walk away, did I do my father's will? Because it's only when the will of the father is performed that God is glorified. That's why Jesus says in John 17, I know I have glorified my Father because I have finished what he called me to do. And so there is a finishing faith that is so needed in this hour that we don't start something and don't have the grace of God to finish it. So in the midst of it, Jesus asked, who do men say I was? We looked at that and we broke it down to realize that men always have an opinion, but it really shook my heart to realize God is not interested in church folks' opinion. Come on, we need a revelation. So many times we sit and we think revelation is the opinion that someone gave us when Jesus turns around and says, I hear the opinions of men, but who do you say that I am? It is important that you know who God is in your life and who the Son of God is because when you leave here, you have to face the world, you have to face your family, your children, you have to go back into your local church, you have to serve there with a servant's heart, and you must know who Christ is to you. So in the midst of it, uh, Peter confesses that you are Christ, the son of a living God. He confesses that he believes that Jesus is the Messiah and that he is the fulfillment of all that the prophets had spoken of in the Old Testament. And so every question has to come to us somewhere in our walk, and it has come to me on numerous occasions, who is this Jesus really to me? Is he just 
church going? Is he just a ministry? Is he someone that I just call out to when I have a great need? Is he someone that I just want uh, to add to my life and be involved in some extent to my life, but I never have the revelation where he becomes my life? Because the scary thing is, the devil is the angel of light. Can I talk to you tonight? The angel of light is a false revelation and a false security to make the church people believe that adding Jesus to their life is more than enough. And I want you to know you'll never overcome hell when he is added to your life. It is when he becomes your life that you can conquer hell. And so in the midst of it, as a little Baptist girl, uh, I had to be delivered from understanding my tradition could not save me. How, How many of you understand that traditions are fine and denominations are fine, but you ain't going to heaven by denomination titles. Come on. You're going to go to heaven declaring that you are the son of a living God. Now, in the midst of it, Jesus comes and Peter gives this incredible revelation and this confession out of his mouth. And suddenly, Jesus identifies that you cannot know who this Christ is or who I am in your midst without the Father's involvement. And he says to Peter, Peter, the Father has made that known to you. I want you to understand right now that we are moving towards an incredible hour inside of our nation. Now stay with me tonight because I want to talk to us prophetically tonight. And I want us not to be afraid of what God has to say to us. God declares that in the word in Timothy and Thessalonians, if you read your Bible, that there are going to come false prophets, false teachers, false apostles, and false uh, uh, pastors, or shepherds they're called, and that this falseness will come to deceive the people. Now listen to me, church. You cannot be deceived, nor can we embrace a counterfeit if the real thing does not come first. So what the enemy does is try to gain our confidence and gain our our heart by demonstrating truth to a degree and have a personality that excites us or pleases us. And then when he has our heart, he will step in for his devious things to lead us astray. So in the midst of it, we must understand the importance of the revelation of Christ. Because listen to me, it is not those who speak righteousness, it is those who live righteous. Come on. And our sister talked about it at the session she did about the fruits of the Spirit. You can counterfeit the gifts, but you cannot counterfeit the fruits. Come on, you you just can't do it. Why? Because the gifts are the empowerment uh, of God, but the fruit is the character of God. And God will not let his character be counterfeited. And so in the midst of it, it is those who speak of righteousness that live righteous that are righteous. So in the midst of it, I must understand who this Christ is to me. It is the most important revelation needed for me if I am going to make the transition because God is about to fill the earth with his glory and his power and the demonstration of who he is. But listen to me, hell is going to be walking side by side. 
Now, come on, because see, hell keeps pace with the kingdom of God. Can I talk to you? Because it keeps pace because the real thing and the counterfeit run side by side. So I must have the power of the Holy Ghost. Now, I don't want to offend anybody tonight, but I believe everybody ought to have the baptism of the Holy Ghost with the evidence of speaking in tongues. It is not a doctrinal issue. It's a God thing. Come on. It's a Bible thing. And I want you to know that hell can interpret Czechoslovakian, uh, southern accents, come on, uh, German, Hispanic. He knows every language, but the only language that he does not have the interpretation for is speaking in tongues. Because he cannot decipher that. Come on. Because it's a different spirit. Can I talk to you? So in this hour, when I do not know how to pray, thank God for a shandala and a hakabak and a glory of a that literally ties me to heaven and confuses hell. See, we need the evidence of speaking in tongues to confuse hell. And I don't know about you, but hell has confused me so many times. I'm glad I can shock a buck and confuse him. So in the midst of it, man cannot give us this supernatural joy or this strength that comes from God. It is the empowering of the Holy Spirit. Now, let me talk to you just for a moment. On the day of Pentecost, there were 120 people in the upper room. Now, you know God was doing something when men let the women come to the prayer meeting. Oh. And I know there's a lot of doctrinal issues about can women preach, can women teach. And all I want to say is that scripture where it says that women remain silent in the church is misinterpreted because we understand this. God ain't ever created a woman who can be silent. <laughs> Never. Never. So we know there's got to be another interpretation of that one. Even when we are silent, we have an opinion. So in the midst of it, they are in the upper room. The power of the Holy Spirit comes upon them. They are in one accord, and the heavens open. It is a kairos moment. Kairos means when you cannot get to God, but you are waiting on God, God opens the heaven and descends down upon the situation. See, we need a kairos moment right now where we don't know how to get to this God and, and really hear or see or do what he wants us to, but if we are tearing, if we are praying, if we are waiting on God, there is a Kairos moment when God looks down and says, excuse me, the heavens no longer will be closed up. The heavens no longer will be sealed. I'm going to open the heaven and empower them to live this thing and not just talk about this thing. See, I want you to know I need the Holy Ghost right now where the Kairos moment came upon me and God said, you can't live it no matter how good a Baptist girl you are or how good a Catholic you are or how good a Methodist you are or how good an Episcopalian you are. You need the power of the Holy Ghost to open the heavens, come down and descend upon you and come out of that thing shakabakin. See, we need the Holy Ghost. Now stay with me a moment. When they came out, listen to me very carefully. The evidence of their encounter with God is they were speaking in other tongues. But that was not the purpose of God. That was the power of God. 
The purpose was the minute they got out of that prayer meeting, they gave birth to what was called the local church. Can I tell you that your tongues are dead if you're not birthing something in the spirit? Come on, you got to birth something. So in the midst of it, they gave birth to what was called the local church. Now, stay with me. Peter confesses that it is God alone. That God is the one who has sent this son, Jesus Christ. And this God is a living God. Man can't quicken revelation to you. Jesus made it apparent in the word that this thing comes by the Father's involvement. And the Father chooses to reveal it to Peter. And in the midst of it, we understand that what is born to the flesh is a flesh, and what is born of the spirit is spirit. Now, now stay with me just one moment, because I, I want you and I to hear by the spirit of the Lord that there is a spirit of deception inside the church. And I feel that if we keep embracing deception, we will never have the fullness of joy. That deception part of it is to make us, come on, can I just talk to you? Deception will make me be stimulated by something, but never have the revelation. I get stimulated in a church service. Something just feels good inside of me, and I feel that stimulation because something touched my emotions. Uh, I thank God for stimulation and touching, but that's not revelation. So a whole lot of Pentecostal people, can I just talk to us, will come into a service, feel stimulated, and know that moved me, and that song moved me, and that message moved me, and, and someone touched me at the altar, and it stimulated something and touched something in my emotions, and we think that we have had an encounter with God. Can, can I just talk to you? We have, may have had an encounter with God's Spirit that is stirring something so that we can press through to break through to have an encounter with God. And in the midst of it, Peter has an encounter with God. There is something that when this question comes, the voice of the one who caused him to put his fishnet down and leave his business and walk and follow God. See, we're never called of God until we're willing to give up something and follow God. Can, can I just talk to you? Because Peter dropped his nets. We just read that. But listen, that was his livelihood. That was the only thing the boy knew. And when he heard the voice of God, he dropped it and he followed God. And that same voice is now saying to Peter, Who am I to you, Peter? That piercing voice that caused Peter to just have a total turnaround in his life. That piercing voice that came to you and I when we heard something say, You must be born again. That piercing voice that came when our life was all out of disarray, whether we were eight years old or nine years old. Because listen to me, without Jesus, your life is a mess. Come on. It doesn't matter if you're five years old. It doesn't matter if you're 10 years old. It doesn't matter if you're 30 years old. You can't live this life without God's involvement. And that voice came to me. 
I was eight years old. I can tell you I was sitting on the third pew in my Baptist church and Brother Rose was holding a revival and he said, you must be born again. And in my childlike simplicity, something began to pull on my heart. I had no idea what that meant, but tears started rolling down. I was stimulated inside. Something touched me inside and I began to make my way down the aisle to the front of the church and I never will forget Brother Rose looked at me and said, what is it that you want? And I said, I want that Jesus that you're talking about to help me. Now, I didn't have any trauma in my life. I did, was not abused like Barbara Benton. I had a protective father. I didn't go through any great trauma that God had to come and rescue me at eight years old. But I want to tell you what. Sometimes we miss this incredible Jesus because we're so self-righteous. We don't think we need delivering and saving like the drug addict, like the prostitute, like the homosexual. But I want to tell you what. There's nobody getting in heaven that doesn't know salvation. We must be born again. So in the midst of it, Jesus came. Many times he came this weekend to stimulate us by his touch. Many times we have things in our life that we bring to him, but We only let him relieve us, but we never let him release us. See, I'm tired of coming to the altar with my sin and strongholds that are in my life and reaching out to Jesus and Jesus just touching me. Come on, church, I want to pull with you tonight. Just touching me. And then three weeks down the road, I'm right back where I was because I felt relief, but I didn't tarry in God's presence to get released. See, it's the enemy's deception to relieve you enough that you believe you're free. But God has come to release you. And our Baptist church, we didn't believe in demons, even though all of us carried legions. <laughs> and when the Holy Ghost came to our church, a woman suddenly started going across town to an Assembly of God church. Now, I want to tell you why Assembly of God churches can mess Baptist folk up. And so she started going over to Assembly God Church that was teaching on demonic power. Principalities, powers, and rulers, and breaking off strongholds. See, God wants to break strongholds off of us. And they're broken off by the revelation of who Christ is. You know what a stronghold is? Can can I just give you a little class just for a moment? A stronghold is any opposition that stands opposed to the will of God and so presses and oppresses you that you begin to accept it as unchangeable. That's a stronghold. Come on, it's that thing that is assigned to oppose the will of God. 
to oppress you and depress you and so press up against you that you live finally accepting this thing is unchangeable. At any time that you believe God cannot change you, you have what the Bible calls a stronghold. Come on, and strongholds have to be broken and delivered from. Now, I don't know about you. It changed my theology about deliverance. Come on, how many of you know, if you want to be free, you got to believe in deliverance. Come on, just smile at someone and say, amen it, because she's talking about you. Come on. So in the midst of it, God has come to set us free. Now, this little Baptist lady came back to our church and convinced our pastor we had only been baptized in the Holy Spirit just a short amount of time. And she came back to our little Baptist church and convinced our pastor that we all needed deliverance. Now, do you know, do you know how confusing it is when someone gets up and says, all of you have demons? And we're like, we do? And she says, a whole church needs deliverance. And then she turns around, doesn't miss a beat. And you too, Pastor. (laughs) And I'm like, oh my God. (laughs) So she said, Tuesday night, we're all coming to church. And anybody that wants deliverance will come. Those who love their demons will stay home. And I'm like, that didn't give us much options. (laughs) And so I said to my husband, are you going Tuesday night? He said, no, I am not. I'm Baptist. (laughs) And I said, well, I think I'm going just to see what's going on. See, don't we love that we don't want anybody to know we have a need. We're just spying out the land. So I just wanted to see what was going on. So this lady comes in, and two men are with her, and they have discernment. Now, you know they have discernment when they squinch their eyes. (laughs) Say, you you cannot have discernment unless you get this down. And so they're looking at all of us with squinched eyes, and one of them just stares at me, and I thought, oh, my God. I said it again. And they said, we're going to call out spirits. And we are passing out Kentucky Fried Chicken Buckets. And so everybody gets a Kentucky Fried Chicken Bucket. And we're all standing there, Baptist, squinched eyes, Kentucky Fried Chicken Bucket. And they said, when we call those spirits, you spit in your bucket. So I'm on the staff And I'm sitting there And I know every eye is on me And I'm the counselor on the staff I've got a psychological understanding I have a degree in psychiatry I am sitting there with a Kentucky Fried Chicken Bucket (laughs) 
And they begin to say spirit of lust and people begin to go <laughs> Spirit of murder <laughs> And they were spitting in this bucket And I'm sitting there with my Kentucky fried chicken They called out horoscope I had never looked at a horoscope in my life But the little guy came over and I went <laughs> I just spit and the reason I did is if you didn't spit, they'd hit you on the back and say, in Jesus' name, loose them. And I didn't want to be hit on the back, so I went. <laughs> and this went on for two hours. My dentist is sitting next to me. He's looking at me. Every once in a while, they look in your bucket. I spit so much. I, I'm not exaggerating. I spit so much. My, I needed a healing. My throat was so dry. <laughs> and I leaned over to my dentist and I said, do you love me? He said, well, yeah, why? I said, could you spit in proxy for me? I'm running out of spit. I never will forget it. He looked at me and said, I'm sorry, Mary, every man for himself. And this lasted two hours. That's why when I go past Kentucky Fried Chicken, I feel like doing the sign of the cross. Like, holy, I do, I feel like, shandala, glory to God. got out to my car when that was all over and the first thing that came out of my mouth was thank God my husband didn't come <laughs> and there was a knock on my window and I rolled it down my dentist is standing there he said let's make a vow with each other I said okay what is it he said I won't tell if you won't I said give me a high five And he stood there and he said these words to me, Mary, there has got to be a better way. <laughs> now listen, as ridiculous as this sounds, God delivered people that night. I mean, it was amazing. People who had problems with lust and people who had prom problems with lying and people that had problems with temper had spit in that bucket and they had walked out and God was totally delivering them and they never went back. But there is a revelation that causes us not to have methods but through the message he becomes Christ, the son of a living God. Now, I'm not against people coming down to the front, laying hands on people, binding spirits, because that's part of the anointing that we can bind and cast out devils in Jesus' name. But in the midst of it, the revelation had to come to us that God was not just the delivering God. You've got to know why he wants to deliver you. 
And if you know why he wants to deliver you, you will not hide those things by spiritual pride or or just self-righteousness or you're afraid that someone will know what you have to be delivered from. I I love uh, hearing Barbara minister because of the transparency of what she had to be delivered from. And your real testimony is when you can talk about it and don't care if anybody votes for you. Come on, you, you, just know you, have, you just know you have heaven's approval. So Peter is standing there, and he says, Peter, upon this rock, I will build my church. Your name is Peter. That word means Petros. You're a little pebble. But I'm going to take the little pebble and put it on the big rock. And when I put it on the big rock, it is a foundation that hell may hit against, but it will not prevail. So that's why we must be born again, church. No matter what denomination we are serving in, whether we are Pentecostal or Assembly of God or Baptist or Lutheran or Episcopal, whatever we are, there has to be a foundation in our life that Christ has come to us as the Son of the living God and we understand no church, no man, no ministry, no person can reconcile us back to God. It is only the blood of Jesus Christ. There is no other God. Come on, I don't care what our theology is, there is only one way to salvation, and that is through the blood of Jesus Christ. Now stay with me. We are losing that truth because the church now wants to be more politically correct than biblically correct. We do not want to offend anyone. Let them go to hell, but don't offend them. Can can I just talk to you a minute? Christ revealed to Peter that I'm going to build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against this foundation. Now, Now just stay with me a minute. The foundation of the church has to be built on the revelation of who this Jesus Christ is. So when you and I get saved, there is a revelation of the Lamb of God that takes away the sins of the world. And we receive him into our heart. And at that moment of salvation, he lays this foundation called uh, the, uh, the rock. And he becomes that rock of our salvation. That's why David, even when Christ had yet to come, declared by revelation, when my heart is overwhelmed. Lead me to a rock that is higher than I. You become a fortress and a stronghold in my hour of need. I call upon the Lord. And he answered me. David understood there is a place that you can hide in the rock that hell cannot touch you. So in the midst of it, Peter has this incredible revelation of Christ. Now, let me just... um, close uh, just for a moment. Let me just bring it to a place where uh, God ministers to you and I. Can I, can I do that? Can I just come down here? Can, can, I just, um, can I just share my heart with you tonight? Because the church is one of the most powerful secret weapons in the whole earth. But not without the revelation of who he is. There is power in the church. There is stability in the church. 
There is peace in the church. There is healing in the church. There is salvation in the church. There is deliverance in the church. Everything that society needs right now cannot be found in any institution but the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. It is impossible. We may touch lives, but we cannot transform them if they are not born again, submitted to God, and come into what is called the local church. So we are a powerhouse. And yet many of us sit here and we nod our heads and we amen and we take our notes and we underline our Bibles and we do all of this, but we really do not believe that we really are who he said he was to us. So it goes back to the question, who is this Christ to you? Because my answer to you tonight is he won't be any more than you allow him to be. Come on, if you'll allow him to be crystal, Christ, the anointed life of God, then he will invade your life and my life and transform us into what we are supposed to be. Now, Jesus starts talking in the midst of this revelation, about suffering. I have found out you don't get many bookings if you talk about suffering. Because folk don't want to talk about suffering. We like to sing the old Presbyterian hymn, Jesus paid it all. We just think, well, he's done it all. There's not going to be any suffering to me. But he turned around and he said, I am going to suffer at the hands of the elders. What's new? No, anyway. (laughs) Pastors were here, they'd go, amen. (laughs) The chief scribes and the Pharisees. In other words, the religious people are not going to understand who I am. But I did not come to fit into their religion. I came to deliver them from it so they could fit into my kingdom. Now stay with me. So he began to say, I'm going to suffer. Why? Because there's always opposition inside religious institutions against who Christ really is. Because, see, we're just like the first question. Who do men say I am? Denominations choose what they want to believe. Come on. And all denominations have a part of a truth. Come on, right now, the Catholic Church, I mean, some of you might say, well, ain't nothing going to happen in the Catholic Church. Right now in the Catholic Church, there's all kinds of exposure right now. You know the, the news media of altar boys who have been molested now that they've grown older. They remember the molestation that happened. How did that happen? Come on, church. They took communion every day. They kept breaking the bread. They kept drinking the cup. They kept believing it was the Lord's table, no matter what other things were added to it. And they kept eating enough of Christ that Christ started pushing up everything that was wounding them and hindering them and stifling them. And suddenly we have the media that's covering this because the Lord's table 
pushed that thing up and said, you'll not always go through life in bondage. Come on, every denomination has a truth. If you're a Baptist, you will, I guarantee you, you will get saved more than once. You'll have water baptism till you're like a wrinkled up prune. If you're assembly God, I guarantee you go shock a box. Come out, and everybody's going to look at you till you shock a box. And they're going to drag you down the altar and put their knee on top of you and say, "Pray through, shock a box, a box, a box, a box." Come on, every church has a truth. So in the midst of it. There are persecutions, come on, that come from within uh, institutions if we don't have the full revelation of who Christ is. Because we will always fight against what we don't understand. Oh, y'all ain't hearing me. So Jesus said, I'm here. And I'm going to have opposition. Because when I show up in the house, they have truth. They love me, they love God, but they need to know who I am, what I did, who did it, and why I did it. And I'm going to have to push against some things that are fearful inside the hearts of people because they don't understand it. Now listen to me, church. Just because I don't understand it does not mean it isn't truth. I'm a widow. <laughs> I can't have sex, but I do have memories. <laughs> oh, y'all ain't. <laughs> Come on, I tell you that old Baptist hymn means more to me today than it ever has. Precious memories. <laughs> How they linger. And when I saw my husband-to-be, my little heart just went pitter-patter. When he invited me out and we began to develop a relationship and he held my hand, I'm telling you, I must have been Pentecostal and didn't know it because a chill went up my back. (laughs) And I really got a witness. I mean, something inside of me was going ding-dong, and it wasn't, it wasn't the Avon lady. <laughs> and the boy could kiss Jesus. I mean, he'd get his little lips on mine. I wasn't thinking about the song of Solomon, Kiss Me With the Kisses of Your Lips. I'm thinking, I don't want his lips, I want your lips. And there was something that excited me. And I married him, I was so excited. Because I married him because I thought, now we can do what we want to do. That we couldn't do when we weren't married. Or at least some of you ought to know you weren't supposed to be doing it. And so I married him. 
precious memories. <laughs> it was great. I mean, it was exciting. I was born for this. He was born for that. I mean, it was exciting. It was good. How many of you know Christians ought to have good sex? Oh, I'm going to lose some of you. <laughs> Come on, you ought to be having good sex. And you know why? God created sex, and everything that God creates is good. Come on, the only time sex isn't good is when you're not in covenant relationship. So you ought to have good sex. I mean, it doesn't matter if he's wrinkled and old and gray-headed. He's still your Tarzan. Come on, and you still Jane. Woo-hoo! Come on. You know, you know, it ought to be exciting. Even if you're old and have to have dreams and visions, it ought to be exciting. I got to quit talking. Barbara's getting out of hand. Hallelujah. <laughs> but I found out, listen, as wonderful as the physical relationship was, as wonderful as it was being in the house together, there was a responsibility connected to the relationship that none of us understood when we said, I do. See, God will make you say, I do. And you, you just dumb. Yeah. I do. Yes. You surrender? Oh, I do. Yes. You love me? Yes. Will you go where I want you to go? I will always follow you. <laughs> Come on, we just snot everywhere. Oh, just I, I love you, I love you, I love you. And we have no idea what he's communicating. Right. None whatsoever. Right. Come on, because we have it on an earthly term. So when Jesus said, I'm going to suffer because truth has now been born and presented in the denominations and the traditions of men, and they're not going to understand it because they're more familiar with their traditions than they are with the reality of who I really am and who I want to be to them, it is going to be a fight. It's going to be a struggle. But I happen to believe I win. Now listen to Peter's voice, and I'm going to close with this. Peter looks at him and says, Lord, listen. Now, I, I just love this. He's fixing to rebuke the Son of God. <laughs> How many of you know, just repeat this word after me, that is really dumb. <laughs> that, that is really, you can't get any dumber than that. But he pulls Jesus aside, and he said, listen, Jesus. We're not going to have any suffering in our doctrine. <laughs> you understand? Ain't nobody going to suffer. We're all going to be happy campers. We're all going to prosper. We're all going to be void of everything. We're not going to have any conflicts. We're not going to have any problems. We're not going to have any opposition. And listen to me. 
We are living in a generation right now that is preaching a heresy to us. Listen, church, I'm not afraid to call it what it is, a heresy to us that Jesus came to make our life comfortable and make our life easy and make everything wonderful. That is a lie from hell because Jesus turns around and he calls Peter Satan. He doesn't beat around the bush. He doesn't care if he offends him because he wants him to catch hold of what just came out of his mouth. You are controlled by Satan himself when you have men's interest at heart more than your father. Come on, there is a demonic spirit that has taken hold. Now do I believe God wants to prosper? You bet. Do I believe God wants to bless? I believe we've heard that through speakers that have spoken to us about joy unspeakable. But listen, church, that is not our focus. Our focus is to know what God is saying in this hour concerning mankind and concerning the nations and concerning America and concerning the church and concerning your family and concerning your children and concerning your singleness. We need to have God's interest at heart. And we live in a society that doesn't want to suffer. Let me tell you, church, that's going to change whether we want to or not. We're going to have to tighten up some belt buckles and walk through some stuff. Now stay with me. Jesus looks right at him and says, you're Satan. Because any time you think I've come to present a self-centered gospel, Satan has taken over. Come on, church, I'm going to rattle some of our cages. Any time you think that I came to make it easy, Satan has taken over. Any time that you are not willing to live the life I've called you to live, Satan has taken over. Any time that you build God around your agendas, Satan has taken over. Any time a football game is more important than a church encounter, Satan has taken over. Come on, I'm preaching the word to you. Any time that you make more investments in your children for them to be popular than rather bring them to church and make investments of God in their life so they can be successful, Satan has taken over. Amen. Anytime you get offended by the gospel and you put pressure upon your leaders to change their message, Satan has taken over. Anytime it's about me and my ministry, Satan has taken over.
Anytime I get offended and get my feelings hurt and I'm self-centered and it's all about my feelings and you don't understand, Satan has taken over. But see, we're afraid to say that to a congregation, that Satan has taken you over. Come on, how many of you know we would have nobody in the church left? Because we want someone to tell us gain without pain. Now Jesus turns around to him, and this is my closing, and this is my third one. But anyway. <laughs> Second? Oh, ooh, I got another one. There is a God. There is a God. But stay with me. Jesus turns around and says, you know, Peter, you know why you have a self-centeredness in your life? You don't understand that when I saved you and I called you, you have to take up your cross and follow me. Now, I, I, wanna, I don't have time to go into it, but listen to me. He didn't say take up my cross. He said, when you get saved, you have a cross. Yeah. Come on, you couldn't carry his cross if you wanted to. Come on, we're absolutely incapable of that. He said, you take up your cross and follow me. Nobody's taught you how to take up your cross and follow me. And to take up your cross, it involves this. You've got to lose your life to find it. And if you choose to save your life, you're going to lose it. So every one of us, when we got saved, listen to me, church, we have a cross. We must live under the power of the cross. We do not have the preaching of the cross in the church anymore. We have the preaching of benefits that came from Calvary, but we are so lopsided in that truth, we do not understand that when you take up your cross, not only do you get the blessings and the benefits and the joy unspeakable that God wants to give you, but you've got to bear reproach. Come on. You've got to lose your reputation. You've got to know how to handle misunderstanding. You've got to know how to walk through rejection. Come on. Everything that he walked through, you've got to walk through but he's already cut the path and put his foot down there and made the prince so that you can walk in the power of who he is. But in the midst of it, you will lose your life that you can find it. America is one of the most self-centered nations in the whole world. And I'm an American. Come on, and I love America. Don't want to be anywhere else. But we're self-centered. That's why we have no growth in the church. We just have rotating church members that were self-centered and couldn't lose their life and got offended and went somewhere else. Can I just... And Jesus looks at him and says, you'll always have man's interest at heart. If you don't take up your cross, and if you're not willing to give me your life. 
See, I love prayer lines. Mm -hmm. I love what Barbara did. I love what June did. I love prayer lines. Prayer line is where someone will come in agreement with you and pray the prayer of faith and touch you and you recognize the God in them. I love prayer lines. The Bible says if any among you sick, call for the elders of the church. Let them pray the prayer of faith and anoint you with oil and you'll be healed. But what I want us to see is a prayer line is God coming to us. An altar is us laying our life down and coming to him. And so we have raised up a generation that wants everything even given to them spiritually. And the altars are broken and torn down. And we don't know how to get to God and wait on God so that God cannot touch us. But that we can pray through and touch God for an impartation. His life is never going to be found in a prayer line. And neither can sin be dealt with in a prayer line. You can pray for someone that says, I've got this sin. But it will never be dealt with until you know how to come to God and tell God, I want to lose my life in this area. I don't want my life to predominate in this area any longer. And you have to lay it on the altar. You don't lay anything down in a prayer line. You lay it down on the altar. And on the altar is where God sacrifices that thing, kills it, burns it up. And out of the ashes come beauty. That's what Jesus was talking about. Joy unspeakable. That if you'll just lose your life, there is a life that I want to impute to you. That you have no understanding. And I will give you joy unspeakable. And even what needs to be burned up out of the ashes, I will turn it into beauty. That's who I am. Now, if I had been there with Peter and the other eleven... I am here to tell you, I would not like what I just said. We like you, Jesus, when you break the bread and feed the 5,000. We ain't into this stuff. Take up our cross and suffer it. <laughs> so Jesus, how many of you know Jesus is wise? Jesus said, boys... Just sit in that for six days until you figure out, I think I did something wrong. I believe you know Jesus will let you sit in your mess. Come on, until the revelation hits you. I, I, I don't think that was what I was supposed to say. So here's Peter. Would you... Hey, listen... I would have loved to have seen the other 11. My God, Satan is in our group. Yes, right. <laughs> and here Peter is sitting over there. I didn't, I didn't pass the test. I don't think Jesus is happy. I don't think the people in the church are happy either. He's sitting there six days. See, God loves us so much 
that he'll let us sit in some stuff until we realize there is a better way. Oh, I got to have an amen. I'm going to say it again. You lie, you fry. (laughs) Come on, if you turn to your neighbor and say, Jesus has never done that to me. Then I, I want to see fire come down. Yeah. Like, Because <laughs> God burns up bull. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> They're trying to get you to go, go to Savannah and feed the bull. No, I don't have any. But Jesus turns around and says, Peter, James, John, come on up to the mountain with me and let's pray. Now, I have to laugh at this passage. Peter (laughs) is controlled by Satan, and James and John are the sons of thunder. not crazy. Listen, you don't get the nickname Son of Thunder because you're patient and meek and mild. (laughs) So Jesus, (laughs) I can just see it. Like, James and John are looking like, we're going to prayer with Satan? (laughs) This is more serious than I thought. And they go up the mountain, James, John, and Peter. Now, I've got an imagination, and I'm not saying this is, this is scriptural, but in my mind, I just see James and John separating themselves from <laughs> Satan and walking up the mountain, stay close to Jesus. Just stay close to Jesus. And you got to understand, I have an imagination. I can just see Peter saying, I promise when I get up there, I'm not going to free anything. <laughs> and they're walking up this mountain. And when they get up there, the Bible says that Jesus was transparent. And his garment shone like light. And the revelation of all that he was, that scripture really means that if you will lose your life and find me, there is nothing hidden that I cannot reveal to you who I am. The Alpha, the Omega, everything in between. The beginning of your faith, Peter, and the finishing of your faith. The prophecies of the old prophets in Jeremiah and Isaiah and all of them that opened their mouth to prophesy, look, this is who I am. All that my father declared that I am. I want you to understand that when you come up higher and you lose your life to find it, you will find that there is no revelation that I will hide from you. I will reveal myself and become transparent so that whatever you need when you come and bow in prayer, I will uncover myself and that's who I'll be. 
Because Jesus understood this. You will never conquer man's interests or even attitudes of anger and frustration unless you have a revelation that God can be to you what you are enabled to be. This is who I am. Now, I love Peter. (laughs) Whenever God showed up, Peter had something to say. <laughs> I love him. Because I'm that way when our prayer group gets together. I have something to say. Because see, the Holy Ghost just gets my motor going. Sometimes our motor does not control our mouth. Come on, it's easy to speak in tongues. It's harder to get your tongue saved. Oh, y'all ain't hearing me. So Peter said, wow. Because you know what happened? Elijah and Moses showed up at the prayer meeting. Now, I'm here to tell you. I don't care how backslidden we are, how dead we are, how complacent we are. If Moses and Elijah walked in this sanctuary right now. Come on, how many of you know even the dead in Christ would rise? I mean, we go, wow. (laughs) And here's Moses and Elijah. And Peter said, wow. And he said, I'm going to build a tabernacle for Jesus. J-E-S-U-S. I'm going to build one for Elijah. Yeah, 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 yeah. (laughs) And I'm going to build one for Moses. Yeah, 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 yeah. And when he opens his mouth, a Kairos moment comes. (laughs) See, I love it. You can be stupid, and God will still interrupt your conversation. (laughs) Come come on, you you should have turned around and gave someone a high five, because that included all of us. Come on, you, you just be stupid. I mean... Peter's got his blueprints out, his saw, his hammer. I mean, you know, and if you include Jesus, it's going to be perfect. Because, see, here's my struggle where I am right now. Can I just tell you where I am right now? God is delivering me from my good ideas. And, see, good ideas do not equate to godly thoughts. I mean, Peter had a great idea. We could have the first church of Jesus the first church of Elijah and the first church of Moses. It's like the man that was shipwrecked on an island. It was there for 16 years. And finally one day a ship came by and saw him and he went, oh, I'm getting rescued. The crew got out and there were three houses on the island. They said, is there anybody else living on the island? He said, no, I I live on this island all by myself. He said, well, what's that house over there? He said, that's where I live. He said, well, what's that house over there? He said, that's where I go to church. He said, well, then what's that house? He said, that's the church I used to go to. bad. That's real bad. 
So the Kairos moment comes. Peter has put his foot in his mouth again. When he was with Jesus, he said, we're not going to have any suffering. Now he's up on the mountain. He's trying to build something. And in the midst of it, the heavens open, and the Father's voice comes down. I would have loved to have heard James and John. I'm telling you what, Peter, you ticked off Jesus, and now you got the Father ticked off. I mean, you're leaving our church. One thing for Jesus to be upset, but now we got Daddy upset. And the voice came from heaven. And said, this is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. Would you just listen to him? See, I found out we always have good ideas to replace godly thoughts when we're not listening to God. Peter, you got to listen to me. Why? Because I want you to have joy unspeakable. And the Bible said that at that moment when the heavens were open, they fell as dead men. I would have loved to have heard that conversation. Like Peter, you know, when we were back there, Jesus was talking about the crucified life. You don't have to worry about it if we get out of this. Because we're nailing you, buddy. We will crucify you. You don't have to worry about it. But the Bible said when they fell down, because that incredible voice, that voice, that voice that you hear in Genesis that speaks the worlds into existence, that voice that raises up the mineral kingdom and the vegetable kingdom and the animal kingdom, that voice that took the dirt of the earth and, and formed Adam. That voice that took out of his side a woman. That voice that breathed into man and he became a living being. That voice shook them down to their knees and they fell on their face. And the Bible said that when they got up, they only saw Jesus. Why? Because God was wanting them to get the revelation. He's come to not only be involved in your life, he's come to become your life. And if you will see him, you will become like him. And if you become like him, you will talk like him. And if you talk like him, you will walk like him. And if you walk like him, you will act like him. And if you will act like him, you will enter into a joy. That is unspeakable. And Jesus turned around and said, don't tell anybody who I am. And the Bible said they came down off the mountain. And the minute they came down, they were confronted with a demonic spirit that only Christ could cast out. You leave here. Barbara said it so clearly. A snake will follow you out the door. 
just like God follows you out the door. But when you're in his presence, you can confront that thing. And we have to come down off the mountain. Because the thing is, up in the mountain, we had revelation by his word this weekend. Heard it expressed all different ways. Heard who this Christ was. Heard this thing about Paul. Heard this thing about joy unspeakable. We heard all of this to come down off the mountain and confront those things that are still tormented because they don't have his presence. That's the call of the church, to be able to confront those things. Now, let me close. This is my last close. (laughs) What was Moses and Elijah doing up there on that mountain? Because there's plenty of biblical characters that could have been up there. But here we have a man, Moses, who is a patriarch and a friend of God, and he was the mighty deliverer who brought them out of Egypt. And then on the other side, we have Elijah, who was the prophet, who did supernatural, miraculous, incredible things. But let me challenge you and I and give us hope tonight. I believe that any time the number two is in the Bible, it institutes a witness. Wherever you see two people, God is wanting to witness to something. So here is Moses and Elijah. Now listen to me, church. Moses is a friend of God, did the incredible miracles, took a people out, but became so frustrated with God's people, he could not take them in. And God took him out. Come on, as great a patriarch as this is, Moses will not be able to stand before God and say, I finished what you gave me to do. Come on, that's scary to me. A man who had the miraculous, who delivered three and a half or more million people out of something, but let God's people continually frustrate him to the point it didn't cost him his salvation. Come on, he's up there on the mountain with Jesus. It didn't cost him that, but it cost him his inheritance and the joy unspeakable. I finished this thing. Come on, God's people can frustrate you and not cause you to lose your salvation, but cause you to lose the inheritance and the joy of saying, I finished this thing. And and, And Elijah was taken up. 